just thank you so much for this morning bringing us here. Lord God, our hearts are warm by your presence even now, Lord. Jesus, I know it is my desire and it's our desire, God, that, that we want you. We want to know you. We want to know you in a deeper way, get closer to you. So, Lord, open our eyes to your greatness and power today. Lord, give us a vision, Lord, of who you are. Speak to our hearts like never before. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In this area called Bear Country in South Dakota, a 120-pound mountain lion leaped through a partially open window of a parked motorhome and began to maul this 18-month-old boy. But the boy's grandmother, Mrs. Underhall, bravely jumped to the rescue and killed it with a butcher knife. This is what the grandmother said. All I kept saying was, bring me the knife, bring me the knife. Finally, my husband handed me a butcher knife, and I jammed it in and twisted it, and the lion went slack, and I knew I had pierced the heart. Crazy, huh? Well, the credit for her courageous act was not really hers, for the grandmother then explained by saying this. I said a prayer that the good Lord would give me the strength and the right spot, and he did. I love that. Wow, what courage. I mean, I was trying to picture her. What was she doing, like holding off the line? And she's like, come on, husband. Where's the husband too, yeah? Give me the knife, give me the knife, give me the knife. You know, can you just picture that? I thought, what, what an what a image that is. What would you have done in that moment? What would you have done? I think her courage came from a grandmother's love, right, for her baby grandson, right? I mean, you could see her, nothing's going to stop me. Ambrose Redmoon wrote, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And I love that. I love that. And you know what? As we come into uh, this book of Hebrews, our study this morning, that's what we see. We see the example of Old Testament saints who bravely took on great hostility and opposition because God and the eternal things were more important than fear. So this morning, we are going to see the courage of faith. And that's the title of our message this morning. The courage of faith. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 32 to verse 40. We stopped at verse 31 last time. And as we're going through here verse by verse, now we pick it up at verse 32. And we're going to finish off the chapter. Now, the courage of faith, and this is our outline this morning. The courage of faith, number one, battles with the enemy. Number two, bears up the extreme. And number three, banks on the eternal. So that's our outline. That's how I've broken up our passage here. So let's begin with number one, battles with the enemy. The courage of faith battles with the enemy. So we're going to cover Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 32 to 34 in this first section. Take a look with me here now. Hebrews 11 Verse 32, it reads, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. We'll stop right there. Now we begin with the writer saying, And what more shall I say? Say about what? Well, say about faith. 
the writer continues on talking about faith and giving us examples of faith. Now remember, this all started in verse 1. We learned that faith is that unshakable confidence and conviction in God and his word. And, and you remember, we've gone over this many times already. So we're looking at unshakable faith here. So here in this last section of chapter 11, the writer brings some final examples of unshakable faith. Now remember, Hebrews chapter 11 is this list of the heroes of faith, or some call it, this is the hall of faith. And we've seen this unshakable faith and like verse 4 and 5 how Abel and Enoch gave their honor and respect in their worship and their walk with God in verse 7 we saw Noah built the ark with this unshakable faith in obedience he built that ark even when it never rained before and then from verse 8 through 19 we saw Abraham he kept to the eternal perspective. Remember, he kept that vision there, right? In verse 20 and 22, we saw Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They saw God's providence working in their lives. And in verse 33 to 29, we saw how the parents of Moses, Moses himself, and the people of Israel all took what? That choice of faith. And then last time, in verse 30 and 31, we saw how Joseph's persevering faith and Rahab's pursuing faith, that was our outline last time, right? That unshakable faith went against all odds. So now, as we continue, the writer goes on to generally now list other Old Testament saints. He's just kind of grouping them and throwing them here out together. And to show us that their courage, their courage came from this unshakable faith. Thus our title this morning, the courage of faith. So if we look again in verse 32, the writer says, for the time would fail me. In other words, it would take too long to go into every detail about everyone we've seen in the Old Testament. People like any list, Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, and King David along with the prophet Samuel. And then he throws into the list, you know, all the Old Testament prophets here. So here, in a rapid-fire way, these names are listed to, to generally just say, you know, we can keep going on and on with many more examples of faith that are found in our Old Testament history. Now, the first four names that we see in verse 34 come from the early period of the nations, Israel's history, when judges or leaders of Israel, when these judges led Israel during the time, they were actually supposed to be ruled by a theocracy. That means God was their king ruling over them. And then next he lists David, which is, we know, the greatest of all the earthly kings there in the Old Testament. And that was during the time when the nation was ruled with the monarchy. And then he mentioned Samuel, who was both, you know what, he was both like a judge and a prophet. He was like in this transitional time. He was the link between the time of judges and the monarchy. So the writer's like saying, hey, so, you know, it's like these guys we're going to, we want to look at and see. And so what did they generally do in this general list of these great saints? Well, these are the ones, and now look at verse 33. These are the ones who through faith subdue kingdoms, work righteousness, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence 
of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And we'll stop there. So the writer saying, these old... Testament saints, they show their unshakable faith and their courage how in they battles, battled so many things in the battles that they face. So that's why I gave this heading here in this section, the battles with the enemy. That's the title of our, in our outline. Now, these are courageous acts are listed in verse 33 and 34, are actually seen in three groups. So I'm, we're going to study this in this way, in three groups. And we're going to see that unshakable faith is seen in the overcome, uh, overcoming the national threat, overcoming the political threat, and overcoming the hostile threat. And you know what? These are going to be our points this morning. So let's begin here in these verses. The unshakable faith is seen in our first point, overcoming the national threat. That's really the point here in these first three feats of courage that we see. So look at verse 33 again. It says how through faith, these Old Testament saints subdued kingdoms. Subdued means like conquered, defeated, how they defeated and conquered other nations. So the writer's saying by unshakable faith, they were conquerors here. Now, there are so many accounts in the Old Testament, but let's take one of the names that the writer mentioned and kind of threw out there in verse 32. Let's take the name Jephthah. Jephthah. Now, in Judges 11, the king of Ammon comes to Israel, and he's threatening the nation here. He's, he wants their land. He's threatening them over the rights to the land. So Jephthah uh, steps up as a judge, as a leader, and he tells the king, first of all, you know what, you never owned the land. It originally belonged to the Amorites, and you're an Ammonite, and you can't take claim for it, to it. And then secondly, it's, it, he tells them, hey, it's been like, you know what, 300 years that we've already been in the land, and nobody did anything about it. This is our land. And then thirdly, you know what Jephthah told the Ammonite king? The Lord God has given us this land. So you know what? We're not going to let you take that. No way. Well, the Ammonite king did not listen and went to battle with Israel. But we find in Judges 11, Jephthah, filled with the Spirit of God, battled in faith for what God had given the nation. And it says in verse 32 of Judges 11, the Lord delivered them into his hands. I love that. So... By faith, Jephthah courageously overcame this national threat. And so you can see this example against the national threat, against this nation. Then in verse 33, look what it says next. It says, work righteousness. It's how by faith leaders of the nation upheld a, and promoted God's righteousness, his justice, his principles, his word. So by unshakable faith, leaders were committed to make Israel a godly nation. Now, again, we look in the Old Testament, you know, we think about our studies we've done through the Old Testament and how there's so many, like, good kings, so many prophets, like mentioned in verse 32, and the prophets, right? They were committed to this, right? And, and, and they were committed for the nation to be God's nation, a nation of God. Well, let's take someone mentioned in verse 32, Samuel. 
the prophet Samuel. Samuel fought this battle. Samuel, listen, he didn't fight a physical battle, but he battled against immorality, compromise, idol worship. That was all had come into this nation now. This was the spiritual national threat, you could say. When Samuel came on the scene, the nation of Israel had left this theocracy of God ruling over them. Uh, For we know in Judges 21-25, at the end of the chapter, it describes what happened. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They just did what they liked. They didn't follow God. They didn't follow his principles. They didn't follow his word. And then that's why the nation went down so much. But Samuel comes on the scene and he took courage to uh, battle that society, you know, that was that way. By his unshakable faith, Samuel stayed committed to make Israel a godly nation. Well, then look in verse 33. It says, obtain promises. Here it speaks of the reality of Israel finally making it into the promised land and possessing it as was promised by God to Abraham. So by unshakable faith, they possessed the land that was promised to them despite the national threat upon them. Now, we, we've already talked about this last time with Joshua. Remember up in verse 30, we talked a little bit about it. On Wednesday, we're studying Joshua. So uh, most of us were, I mean, a lot of us were really familiar with this. But, you know, we can talk about Joshua and how he had the courage to fight all these battles. But I want to bring up, I'd like to mention his partner, Caleb. Now, we learned last Wednesday night that when Caleb, Caleb asked for his portion of his land now, He wanted the area of the mountains where, you know, it's hard to fight, you know, going uphill, right? And on top of that, that area, there lived there the Anakim, and they were the giant people. And get this, Caleb, he was 85 years old. But age didn't matter because as he said in Joshua 14, 12, I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He had this faith. He took God at his word and he says, I'll take him. No, give it to me. Nobody wants that mountain. No one wants that land. They're scared of giants. Not me. 85 years old. I want to be like that, right? That's courage. And it's by this unshakable faith, Caleb possessed the land with the power of God. You know, this week I was in my time of of meditation and just kind of meditating on the word and going before the Lord. You know what? This whole week I was grasping this. I was trying to hold on to this. And that's Philippians 4.13. And you guys know this. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the key, you guys. Jephthah won. Why? Because it was the Lord, right? Samuel stood against this whole society that was going against him and what he was trying to bring in and influence and he stood. Why? Because of the Lord. Caleb can fight the giants in the land on the mountain. Why? Because of the strength and power of God. And that's what we see here. That's what we see. That's, that's how they can be so courageous. That's how they can have unshakable faith because they relied upon the power of God in their lives. Are you fighting with God's power? Or are you trying to fight the battle in your own strength? 
Maybe that's why things aren't going so good. But I'll tell you, what does it say? I can do all things through Christ, Jesus, who strengthens me. All things, you guys, not just a few things, not just, oh, maybe the almost big things. No, all things here. Remember in the Bible, the word all means what? All, right. Hey, you guys know Greek. Yeah, pretty good. No. All right. So unshakable faith is seen in this first point, overcoming the national threat. Now we come to the second point in this section, and that is overcoming the political threat. Unshakable faith is seen in overcoming the political threat. Now look at verse 33, that, that end part there. It, it says, stop the mouths of lions. Now, who is, who is he talking about? Who? Daniel, right? Daniel, right? Uh, well, it could be David. That's true. It could be David. Uh, a, 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 A. You guys get an A here. Yeah, yeah. I thought right away, you know, like Daniel, how he got thrown into the lion's den to be killed and eaten. See, because of this political move done by the other advisors, you know, to the king, they didn't like Daniel. So, so they, made, they had the king make this law that whoever doesn't pray to the king will be executed by lions. But Daniel, with great courage, what did he do? He still prayed three times a day to God. He was caught. So he's thrown into the lion's den. But what happened? He got eaten and died. And that was the end of the story. No, we know the story. He lived, right? He lived. You know, the king looks, looks in like, what? You know, they're still there, you know, and Daniel's still there, and they're just kind of sleeping around him. Well, Daniel overcame the political threat by unshakable faith. Then look at verse 34. It says, quench the violence of fire. And I'll tell you what comes to my mind is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Also found in the book of Daniel. They refused to bow down and worship the image that of, the, of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that he had put up. When the music starts, the whole, everyone in the nation was to bow down and worship that image. But these three, they refused to do that. And so they're left standing. Well, you know what? Some of the king's advisors, again, they politically, they didn't like these guys. I mean, they were up and up there too. And they didn't like these, so politically, they got them in trouble, told the king. The king gave them one more chance, and they're like, no, we're not going to do it. Sorry. Sorry, King Nebi. Um, you know what? We, we, we're going to worship God only. So what happened? They were cast into that fiery furnace, right? And when the king looked in, he sees three guys walking around and a fourth guy, like the son of God. And we, many commentators, and we believe that that is a pre-incarnate image of Jesus Christ there with them in the fiery furnace. So we see how courageous their faith was to stand up to the king. And then next, in verse 34, it says, escape the edge of the sword. Unshakable faith kept them from being killed with the sword. Now, uh, there's a lot of different instances of this. We could bring up Jeremiah, all that. But you know what came to my mind? And because he was mentioned in verse 32, I think about David. And let me share. David, King David. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Remember how he faced off that, that soldier of the Philistines, Goliath, right? He stood nine feet, nine inches tall. He had this huge 
spear, right, that weighed like 15 pounds. And, and all of the Israeli army would, would, would not accept this challenge and fight him. But here's David. He comes along. He was only a teenager. He bravely stepped up and said, I'll take him on. And I was like, what? What? Matter of fact, his brother put him down. And I believe his three brothers, his three oldest brothers were there, and they weren't going to fight him, and they were in the army. But here comes this teenager coming up because the father told them to bring the brothers some food. So he comes up, sees what's going on. He steps up, I'll fight him. And then the, the oldest brother puts him down, throwing some family political words like, you're so proud. You're, you're, you're deceitful. You're, you're, what are you doing, David, kind of thing, right? Well, King Saul, then, okay, you want, you want to fight him? He tried to put the regular armor that Israeli soldiers wore to battle, but he couldn't move, if you remember. I mean, that was, quote-unquote, the political correct thing to wear. And it did not work for David. But how did he go out? With some rocks and a sling. You remember that? took a rock and pew, boom, hit Goliath right in the forehead, and he went, boom. And then what happened? David took Goliath's own sword and went, whack, and cut his head off. Remember what David said? He challenged Goliath and said, the Lord does not save with sword or spear. And spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And David killed the giant on the first shot, and he took Goliath's sword, the one that would have killed him, and sliced off his head. So you see, by faith, I see David escape Goliath's sword. So in these examples, I'm sure Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, Abednego, or David. You know, I was thinking about this. They must have not been completely void of any fear in their situations. But you know what? They did not let that fear stop them. They held on to the unshakable faith. Someone said, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fear. And I like that. I like that. Is fear stopping you today? I mean, ask, ask, ask yourself, what is stopping you from doing what God really wants you to do? And a lot of times, it's fear, isn't it? Is there a giant there? Is there a furnace of fire that, I don't want to go through that. I, I, I don't like this, Lord. Or is there maybe lions all about you? Is fear stopping you? But ask yourself this. Is what you fear greater than God? Is it? No. For Daniel it wasn't. For Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego it wasn't. For David it wasn't. God was greater. The Lord, the battle is the Lord. The Lord is greater, he said. And that's how they had the courage of faith. All right. So we see unshakable faith in our first point. Is seen in overcoming the national threat, overcoming the political threat. And the third point in this section is this. Unshakable faith is seen in overcoming the hostile threat. The hostile threat. Now look at verse 34, the, very, the middle of it. It says, out of weakness were made strong. I like this verse. God strengthened those who stepped out in faith who were weak. God was there for them. God brought the victory. In the battles with the enemy, God will take, you know what, little and do much. That's what I see. 
Again, there's so many stories, but let's take one of the names mentioned in verse 32, and that is Gideon. In Judges 7, God called Gideon, who was the least of the weakest tribe in all of Israel, to lead an army to battle the hostile threat of the army of the Midianites and Amalekites. Now, in that story, the enemy had so many soldiers, they were like a stream of locusts. That's how it's described. They had so many camels, like the sand of the seashore. So they had a great military strength. Well, Gideon, he got together 32,000 men to fight. But you know what God said? That's too much. Then that whittled down to 10,000. Okay, God, let's go. God said, that's too much. He's like, what? Then, by how these 10,000 drank water, which is kind of a crazy way to qualify someone, right? Gideon's army went down to 300. And then God was satisfied. And then, armed with just torches and empty pitchers for the, you know, clay pitchers for water, they went to battle. And you remember what they did. Uh, Gideon had strategically had him... Uh, uh, set up on the sides of the hill up at top, and they hid the torches in the upside-down, you know, pitchers of water. And then when he shouted, they broke the clay pots, and they broke open. And then all of a sudden, torches went all around the enemy. And then God confused the enemy where they started killing each other. And then some ran away. Then Israel chased them down and brought victory. God did the battle. By, so you see, by unshakable faith, Gideon's little army overcame this huge hostile army for you know why little is much in the hands of the lord i like that that should give us all courage here and then verse 34 it says became uh, valiant in battle uh, valiant means like mighty or we today we use it as courageous right so by unshakable faith they were mighty and courageous now let's take another name in verse 32 samson and i bring him up because, um, well, I'll, I'll say in a moment, we know Samson had some issues, right? He was immature, he was selfish, prideful, he had problems with women, especially Delilah, right? Cut his hair, lost his power. But God had given him miraculous power from where he could fight the Philistines and defeat them. But he ended up losing all that when he was tricked by the Philistine beauty of right, Delilah. But you know what? When, it came to the end, when he came to the end of himself and his ways, as a prisoner of the Philistines, he repented. He called out to the Lord God one more and said, one more time, give me great strength. And God did. And he took down the Philistines who were a hostile threat to Israel. He used that power to uh, valiantly bring down the Philistine temple on top of them. And he also sacrificed his own life. And you know what I like about this? Even if Samson started out bad, he finished well. All right. Then at the end of verse 34, it says, turn to flight, right, the armies of the aliens. Now, in other words, foreign enemy armies, armies went running. So by unshakable faith, the enemy ran away and was defeated. Now, one more person I want to bring up from verse 32 is Barak. And he's found in Judges chapter 4. The king of Canaan had amassed a great army that had like 900 chariots. Now in those days, that's like having tanks, right? Israel didn't have any of that. And this king uh, uh, of Canaan had made hostile threat to Israel for 20 years now. 
So God called Barak to take 10,000 of his men and fight them. So with a prophetic word from Deborah the prophetess, Barak and his army destroyed the enemy and sent them running by God's hand. Even the king ran too. And later is killed, remember, by the woman who took a tent peg and put it through his, his skull. Now, Barak was not always so strong in faith. I believe he got to that place and did have courage. Uh, but he's listed here, isn't that great, to have unshakable faith. And he's listed here, and I believe I, I could see him making the enemy run away and defeat him. So I'm encouraged with Gideon, who didn't think he, he could do it at first. Samson uh, was messed up at first. Barak, he needed encouragement at first. The prophetess Deborah gave him. But at the end, they did come to believe with unshakable faith. And you know what? God is challenging us today to have that unshakable faith too. Will you make, and let me put it this way, the decision to believe? I mean, these stories we're reading, they're true accounts. It shows us that people from all kinds of backgrounds can do amazing things when they decide to step out and believe. Will you today? Don't walk away from this place today. I challenge you, without believing, we need to make that decision. Brendan Francis said, some people are very decisive when it comes to avoiding decisions. Right? So don't avoid what God is saying today for making no decision is still a decision. I read about a man named Ray Blankenship who was as he was preparing breakfast saw a small girl being swept along a flooded drainage ditch right beside his home in Ohio. He ran out the door, jumped into deep and fast-moving water. He surfaced and was able to grab the girl's arms. Then they tumbled end over end over end in this current. Within three feet of the main culvert, which truly would have drowned them right there, he was able to pull the girl to safety. He was awarded the Coast Guard Silver, uh, Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal, and that was amazing. You know why? Considering... Ray Blankenship didn't know how to swim. You see, faith does not ask you if you can do that work, if you can fight or not fight. Faith is to step out and believe that God can. And this is the courage of faith. All right, let's go on here now to number two. Bears up the extremes. The courage of faith bears up the extremes. We've seen battles with the enemy now bears up the extremes. Now we're going to cover Hebrews 11 verse 35 to 38 here. Hebrews 11 verse 35. It says, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, as the writer continues on here, we see that sometimes, you know, God relieves the suffering and sometimes not. He writes here, some mothers saw their children return to them when they had died, when they were dead, and they were raised to life again. And we think about in 1 Kings 17, Elijah brought back to life the son of the widow of Zarephath. And then in 2 Kings 4, Elisha brought back to life the son of the Shunammite woman. Their suffering ended when the sons were alive again. That's great. Sometimes that's what happened, and we believe God can do that. But sometimes 
There's persecution. Look at verse 35. It goes on to say, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they were willing to suffer rather than compromise their faith, even go as far as dying for what they believe in. And why is that? Well, it says at the end of the verse that they might obtain a better resurrection. Their hope was in a better life in heaven. That's what that means. So the idea here is some bear the suffering in faith and see amazing miracles that end their suffering. But some, because of persecution, may not, or other reasons. But it is still faith to hold out and endure for the eternal future. Someone said this, they would not sacrifice the future on the altar of the immediate. And I love that. I love that. Sometimes our, our, our immediate is our own comfort and convenience, isn't it? So we see these are those who courageously, by unshakable faith, bears up the extremes. And these are extreme circumstances. Then verse 36 Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of, uh, of chains and imprisonment. So this is going on with, with this persecution and this suffering and pain going on. And uh, it may be speaking, say, like Jeremiah the prophet who was abused and imprisoned. Remember he was called the weeping prophet? But it wasn't because of what he suffered. He wept because the people were, who were rejecting him were rejecting God. And then verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. We'll stop there. Traditions say that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two. The word tempted could be better translated tested. So all the pain and suffering tested their enduring faith. And isn't that what happens? I mean, think of, stop and think about that for a moment, right? When we go through that times of suffering and pain, our faith is tested. And we're tempted to say, God, I don't know. I don't know about you. I know some people walked away from God because of extreme, extreme circumstances. And they have a hard time burying it up. And they also face, well, the fear of death. As a result of not compromising, they were slain with the sword. I think about when King Ahab ruled in Israel, he allowed the worship of Baal because of his the queen, his wife, so many of the Jewish priests and prophets were killed by the sword for not compromising. One of the hardest things, I think, to do is not compromise when you face that fear of, of death, right, if you think about that. But unshakable faith endures even in the face of suffering and death. It bears up the extremes. And then many of the persecuted were cast out of society. And look at verse 37. It goes on. It says, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I mean, they were mistreated, uh, oppressed, you know. And then verse 38, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Now, I like that first part. I mean, it continues to talk about how they are cast out of society. But the first part of verse 38, notice here that though, though they were counted like nothing, cast out, cast to the side in society, worthless, because of their faith, the world was not worthy of these people, worthy of those who bear the suffering for their faith. They really turned out to be the most noble and worthy. 
those who suffer because of their faith are in a whole nother class, you guys. Jesus said in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the citizens. They are the ones who will be in heaven. They are the ones that God looks upon. Well, this brings us to this point. Unshakable faith is seen in the endurance during the times of suffering. Unshakable faith is seen in the endurance during the times of suffering. I read about a pastor who was thrown into an Eastern European uh, prison for his faith. But prison did not stop his ministry. He began to hold Sunday services for the other inmates. And one Sunday morning as he began his message, the prison guards, uh, they came in, grabbed the pastor and saying, We told you preaching was forbidden. They hauled him away to, quote-unquote, the beating room. An hour later, they returned him to the cell, all bloodied and bruised. His face was all disfigured. Yet, if you looked into his eyes, they were as bright and clear as ever. As all the other fellow inmates stared at him, he looked around the cell block and said, Now, brothers, where did I leave off when we were so rudely interrupted? Nothing can stop someone with such an unshakable faith like that. Nothing can stop a person who doesn't give up, even with the pain and suffering and persecution. Nothing, not even, you know what, Satan can stop such courage in the face of suffering. Let me ask you this morning, what stops you? How hard or how easy is it for Satan to stop you from doing what God is calling you to do? Think about that. Think about that. All right, let's go to our third heading, the courage of faith banks on the eternal. The courage of faith battles with the enemy, bears up extremes, and now in our last two verses, banks on the eternal. Verse 39 and 40. This is our last heading, our last section. Hebrews 11, verse 39 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Okay, the writer's saying all these, all these things I've been talking about, all these I've listed, all these in general that I've been kind of talking about here, with that unshakable faith, with this good testimony. In other words, these guys gave us this example of faith, that good testimony, even... Being recognized with their faith, they did not receive the promise. Now, the promise here is not talking about the promised land, but it's talking about the ultimate promise of the Messiah, the Lord and Savior, to bring salvation uh, to believers and those who follow God. So, the writer saying this, These giants of faith didn't even live to see the Messiah's coming, yet they still kept the unshakable faith. You know, in the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Old Testament, Job, in Job 19.25, he said this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. You know what Job was saying? He looked for the day when, when God would come. He put his faith in God who would save him from judgment. And that's what we see all these giants of faith, our Old Testament saints, they ultimately looked to the Messiah. 
It was their belief that one day the Messiah would come and bring them home into their eternal home to be with God. Their belief was strong. It was because of their unshakable faith that banks on the eternal, their eternal future. That's our setting. And so our last verse, verse 40, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And okay, in the New King James Version where we're studying out of today, it's a, it's a little bit strange, so let's try and understand this. When he says God has provided something better for us, that is for believers today. In other words, we now, compared to the Old Testament saints, we now have this new covenant after Jesus died on the cross. So we understand this. We see this. So today, we're better off, actually, than it was for them because we have that full revelation of the salvation of Christ. We know what the gospel says. We know our hope. We see it very clear and when we believe in Christ that he died on a cross and rose again from the dead, that his blood washes us clean and what? We can go to heaven and we can be with God. And that's a great thing. So we're a little better off because we can see this after Christ now. And that means that they, the Old Testament saints, cannot be made perfect. What is that talking about? Be made righteous, their sins fully forgiven, having the righteousness of Christ, being able to enter into heaven, right? We understand today through the truth of the word of God that if we were to die today, that we would go to heaven. How do we know that? Because our entrance into heaven is not based on what we've done, right? And not being able to go into heaven is not based because of, of all of our, 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 well, it is based on our sins. But we're, we won't be able to go in. Why? Because of Christ's righteousness on us. Because of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament saints, they could not be made perfect in that way. It wasn't until after Christ died and rose again. And, and so apart from us, he's saying apart from what we have today, the gospel of Jesus, no one can be there. So the idea is that not until our time after Jesus came could salvation be completed. That's the idea here. They, and yet, they didn't have all this light. They didn't have all this knowledge. They didn't have all this truth. Yet, they still held on to this fact that God had something better. Isn't that amazing? Think of how many made it to the promised land, yet, maybe think of it this way, many made it into the promised land, but many never even saw it, yet they still held on. Many saw miraculous victory in battles, but sometimes not. Sometimes their faith saved them from death, but sometimes their faith was a cause of their death. Whether victory, suffering, joy, or pain, whatever was experienced here, for them, it was nothing compared to the eternal future with God. And that's how they could have this unshakable faith. No matter what happened, it was about this eternal future that they looked to. This eternal life with God himself. They knew, you know what, that God had something better up ahead. They didn't know exactly, the Old Testament saints. We have a, a much more clear view of that. But they banked on the eternal, our heading. 
Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I love that verse. So we all have this hope. Whatever you're going through, whatever stage you're at, wherever you're at, you know, we, we can bank on the eternal. That as a believer in Christ Jesus, whew, there's much better things up ahead. So we come to our last point this morning. Unshakable faith is seen when nothing else matters but the eternal future with God. Do you see this here? Do you, do you hear what the writer is saying? Do you hear what the Lord is saying? Unshakable faith is seen when nothing else matters but the eternal future with God. That's what we know is up ahead. That's what's coming. That's what drives us, you guys. That's how we can have an unshakable faith no matter what we go through here. No matter the suffering, no matter the, the, the pain, no matter the victories or the defeats or whatever trial, whatever troubles, you know, our future, no can compare, right? No can compare to, to what's here, to what's coming up. That's our unshakable faith. You know, the first time I, I jumped off the high rock at Waioka Pools in Hana was at a youth retreat uh, many years ago. And, you know, I remember the night before, we, were, we had a little fire, I remember, and we are just talking story after the study, and they're like, Pastor Rick, you going you gonna to jump? I go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll jump. How high is it? <laughs> they're like, oh, it's like 25, 30 feet up, you know, and, and Kelly was with me, and they're asking Kelly, oh, you're going to jump? Kelly goes, yeah, we're going to jump, yeah, I'm going to jump, we're going to jump, and and in my mind, yeah, let's jump. Let's fly through the air. Let's jump into the pool there, you know, out in Hana. Um, but for a moment, you know, when someone asks you that question and, you, you, you know, they tell you how high and all that, you know, for, for a moment, you know, some things go through your mind like, will it hurt when I hit the water from that height? Is it deep enough that I won't break, you know, my back, you know, and be paralyzed the rest of my life? When I jump, is the water going to be really cold? You know, you know that feeling when the water goes like, yeah, you know, kind of thing, right? And then I, I think for me, maybe one of my fears is, what if I slip when I push off that rock and I hit the side of the cliff on the way down, boom, boom, you know? You know? And then, you know, for a moment you have these thoughts, well, how will things really end up for me? Well, you know, if you think about these things for too long, you probably won't jump, right? You keep going in your mind. You would lose that courage to jump. But you know what really helps? To know that others have jumped before you and, and it turned out okay. <laughs> Plus, you know, the kids are saying, yeah, we jump. Are you going to jump? Oh, yeah, I'm going to jump. They can't show me up, right? No. <laughs> but think about that. If others have gone before you and they turned up okay, then you know what? Most likely, you will be okay too. Listen, in front of us, in our future, is our Lord Jesus waiting for us in heaven. He's there in heaven. And I'll tell you what, he's gone there before us, in front of us. See, the greatest act of courage the world has ever known is when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, went on his final walk to Jerusalem. At that moment, we know what the word tells us. Jesus knew that he was going there. It was going to be his last time there. He's going to be crucified. 
when going into Jerusalem? Did he run away? No. Did he falter? No. Because you know what? He decided to suffer and die to reconcile this world back to God. He decided, I'm going to die for the world's sins. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through that pain. And no matter what, I'm going to do this. You know why? Because he loved us. And you know why? Because he did it so we can have eternal life. You see, Jesus went on before us. He suffered. He went through all that. And you know what? He made it. So you and I, we can make it too. And then what has the writer been telling us in this whole chapter? All these weeks, these months, we've been studying this book. Look at the other great saints of the Old Testament, even the New Testament. Yeah, they saw victories. Yeah, they saw some defeats. They went through trials. They suffered. They saw God. They experienced in all of this and the ups and downs and everything. And whatever they went through life with, you know what? In the end, they made it. They had faith. And they ended up in this list. Yeah? These heroes of faith. And so the writer's ending up here saying, hey, if the faith of these Old Testament saints was this great, never knowing what we know today about Jesus and eternal salvation, how much greater faith should we have today? Yes, we face struggles, opposition, pain and suffering, disappointments, persecution. But listen, Jesus did not come to make us safe. He came to make us brave, you guys, so that we would follow him too. As we come to a close here this morning, let me also say this. Perhaps the greatest show of faith is courage. And I almost think, you know, in, in our earthly human mind that's why the writer ended up with this theme and this is what i said with courage here because when things are going well oh yeah i have faith right right yeah i'm good yeah i believe in god but when you face disaster trial the persecution sufferings pain right when you're not healed like you want to be and you, you 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 continue to suffer through some some sickness or disease or when you face the threat of death that's when you'll know if you have faith, right? How can we find courage in those times? It's by hanging t- on tightly to what we believe about eternity and Jesus. That's how, how. It's our faith that brings us the courage to go on, to withstand, to, to keep going, not cave in. To hold on to God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. John MacArthur said this. We do not have great faith by having great courage. We have great courage when we have great faith. I'll close with this story. A young Christian man, he joined the army. And for the first time in his life, he faced a real test of his faith. When it came time to go to sleep in the barracks, he had established this this godly habit of placing his Bible on the bed um, at home, kneeling down to read a chapter, and then having his daily prayer time before going to sleep. Well, surrounded with all the other new cre- you know, recruits in the barracks and, and in this open room, many of them were you know, just joking around, cursing, playing around. They're really loud. And he thought, well, maybe it would be wiser to go to bed and then read his Bible where nobody would really notice it. But then he told himself, 
I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus, and I ought to be a witness to these guys. I will not hide my faith, and I will just keep doing what I did at home. So, the courageous young man spread his Bible on his bed. He kneeled down, started to read, and in two minutes, the whole barracks got quiet as a church, the story says. He felt like a goldfish in a glass bowl. After a while, the talk began again, and nothing was said about his odd behavior. But the next night, when he again opened his Bible, knelt down to read, eight other guys dug out their Bibles and did the same thing. Within a month, every man in that outfit would give their life for that brave young man. They went to him with their troubles and their questions, and, it, and they say he influenced more men for Christ in that one barrack than half a dozen chaplains could have done in a year of Sundays. That's it, you guys. Your courage will bring change. Your courage will influence others. Your courage will bring Jesus into a world who needs Jesus. And that's the power found in the courage of faith. Let's pray. Matter of fact, let's all stand as we pray. Lord God, as we stand before you, God, we want to stand because we stand for, for you, Lord. We want to be those believers that have that unshakable faith that has been talked about this whole chapter. I pray for myself and I pray for those here today who have been overwhelmed. Even as they walked in here, they've been overwhelmed with worries, stresses, fears. Pray for those who have been going through the fire, facing the lions. The trials have been so heavy. Lord, I pray for those who have been daily facing much opposition. They've been battling every day and feel so weary, God. But Lord, strengthen all of us today. Pray for those who have been persecuted for their faith and perhaps are sitting Right now, on a line, and a moment where they need to decide to cave in or not compromise. And it might cost them much, but Lord, strengthen their faith. Lord, give us that boldness to keep going on, Lord, doing what you called us to do, doing what you want us to do, living out your principles, Lord, in faith because we know you are more real than anything else around us, Lord. That we have an eternal future, Lord. That one day, everything we're going to, through right now will not compare at all to heaven and your glory, Lord. Lord, I pray you help us all to keep our eyes fixed upon you and your truth and our eternal future. For we know that is what is for sure. And let us not be caught up into this world let us not be caught up in sin. Let us not be defeated by the enemy and caught up in temptation, Lord. But let us be captured by your love and find a zeal, a fire, a passion for you in you alone. We stand before you, Lord. But in our hearts, we stand for you, God, no matter what. 
Thank you, God, for who you are and your greatness, Lord. Thank you that we can put our faith in you and know we would never be disappointed. In Jesus' name, amen.